Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, May 26, 2021. I am Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. And I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. Grace, at the end of this episode, <laughs> at the very end, after um, all of like the normal goodbyes and social media stuff, I have a very special interview in which I spoke with one of the co-writers and the oh. big name producer of the musical Ride the Cyclone, which played at mm-hmm. MCC a few years ago, has played in multiple places around the country, and just released its world premiere cast recording uh, from Ghostlight Records. I spoke with Brooke mm-hmm. Maxwell and the one and only Kevin McCollum um, about the show and the album and theater and album <laughs> recording during the time of COVID. Um, so it was a great interview. Uh, this album is fantastic if you haven't heard it. Um, and they teased the idea that they are working on trying to get this show back to New York at some time soon. It has It's one of those shows that much mm-hmm. like um, Be More Chill and, and a lot of those other shows has a ton of online cult following. Um, and it's done very well um, in the other places around the country, Seattle, Atlanta, and... Um, you know, maybe it'll come back uh, to New York sometime sooner rather than later. But the album is available now. I will talk to Brooke and Kevin at the end of this episode. And so you definitely should um, stick that out and hear that interview here in a few minutes. Nice. Oh, I love a cult. I love a follow. Speaking of cult followings, make sure that you're on our Patreon for Broadway Radio. That's <laughs> patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. Did you like that? I hope you did. Uh, yeah. yeah, like that. I, I love that you're doing that interview. All right. So today marked the one year anniversary of George Floyd's murder. Uh, the Schubert organization chose this occasion in particular to answer many of the industry's concerns about equity in the arts community. Here is their public statement. So I'm going to read exactly what they wanted oh to put out there. All of us at the Schubert organization have taken this past year in the midst of the global pandemic that shut us down to think, connect, and begin to act. The organization wrote in a statement on its website as well, and we questioned as a century-old pillar of the American theater, what can we do to help achieve greater equity, diversity, and inclusion for BIPOC people in the com- in the company and in our industry? So here's a list of what they have been doing in the past year to better reflect this diversity initiative. So engage with an EDI consultant to identify areas of deficiency within the company and develop solutions. They formed the Artistic Circle, an initiative to provide assistance to BIPOC commercial theater producers who are in their early to mid stage of their careers and have a project currently in development. They also put in place a company-wide plan to create a diverse organization, build a culture of trust and collaboration, and created the Schubert Advocacy Series, a new video project that aims to give a platform to individuals and organizations who are working to affect positive movement on Broadway and the American theater instituted. And then they also instituted new purchasing standards to assure a greater percentage of the goods and services that are sourced are coming from minorities and women owned businesses. So that was a nice like list that said it wasn't just like, Hey, we're doing it. Don't think we're not doing it. Um, it, w- it was nice to to have some kind of like bullet pointed, like these are the things that we're learning from. And then going forward, they also did mention that they're they're learning and they're going to they're going to talk about what they've uh, accomplished and what their challenges were. They're not just going to be like, we look at this person that we hired. You see, you know, it's it's yeah. a little bit better than I was expecting, to be frank. Um, but, you know, th- they decided to, you know, a year ago when it was across the country, we were all 
so uh, moved, which we should have been, um, by George Floyd's murder, you know, I would hope that companies have taken this time to reflect on, uh, you know, the, the culture and like the world that we are currently living in and how we've not addressed these things in the past. Uh, and now they're trying to do that. So I, I have to say, I appreciated this list. We can always, you know, we can always do better. We can always, you know, learn. But again, like, it was nice to see something. Again, the Schubert organization has not been the most communicative as far as all of these things. And I'm sure you have thoughts on this, Matt. Well, I mean, we've talked a lot about, you know, what these large major institutions and theater owning groups on Broadway have and have not done as they start to see their houses um, announce reopening. So those buildings are going to start reopening, but very few of the organizations that own those buildings have done much in terms of being forward facing about whether it's their diversity and inclusion initiatives or the health that we've heard, uh, you know, the changes that we need to do around COVID. Last week, Mm -hmm. we did get some stuff. I believe it was from um, Ju Jamson, I think it was, who talked about um, the the changes in their HVAC system. And I'm glad that the Schubert's are, are stepping up and doing this. It, this was more detailed than I think a lot of other organizations mm-hmm. have done. Still would have liked to have seen a little bit more detail. Like, you know, we always talk about, well, I don't need a quota system. I don't need a quota system either. What I want is something tangible and, and you know, trackable. So saying mm-hmm. we're going to do these things is nice and we're going to, you know, put together these projects. But I want hard and fast things that we can hold people accountable towards. So this is good. I appreciate this. Like you said, this is more, they probably could have gotten away with doing a lot less. Um, mm-hmm. So I appreciate that they've done this. And I hope that this is the beginning of the real big, honest to goodness, heavy hitters are are going to take this opportunity now that Broadway is apparently coming back to finally show their cards. And hopefully they've been spending this past year um, working on things so that they don't have to like, do what I did through most of high school and college and just like do it in study hall before school started and like rush to make it look like I know what I'm actually talking about. Oh man. But I love that rush. I love that feeling. Anyways, uh, (laughs) let's take a second to talk about our sponsor express VPN. So a few decades ago, private citizens used to be um, living in private. You know what's changed? Let me tell you right now, it's the internet. Al Gore's internet ruined all this. And think about everything that you have browsed, Matt. I want you to really think and ponder. All the things that you have searched for, all the things that you have watched or tweeted, I don't want to know for sure, but guess what? The internet does. Now imagine all of this data being crawled through, collected, blah, 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 through these like third parties into your permanent record. So having your private life exposed for others to see was something that only celebrities used to worry about. But now thanks to the internet, like I said, we are in an era where everyone is online all the time and we are all public figures. Yeah. With ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted and sent through a bunch of different encrypted servers. So your IP address, the thing that tells these data brokers who you are and where you're coming from is completely masked. So every time you turn on ExpressVPN, you send out a random IP address. So it's almost impossible for third parties to identify you or harvest your data. So if like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash Broadway Radio and get an extra three months for free that's expressvpn.com slash broadway radio go to expressvpn.com slash broadway radio to learn more star of smash 
and Will and Grace. And honestly, one of my heroes, Deborah Messing, has announced today that they are joining the cast as a member of 13 the musical adaptation. I know this was not the this was not the announcement for 13 the musical that I was expecting, <laughs> but Deborah Messing will be playing the main character Evan's mother. You know, the whole story kind of centers around like Evan's bar mitzvah and it's a whole thing and so I'm excited to see Deborah Messing in this because she is she has really catapulted herself into the musical theater on screen kind of canon even though she's not been in like all of the movie musicals, she's still like part of the zeitgeist in this way. Yeah, and she can't sing. So, um you know, I guess bring your it's scarves, bring your scarves, Deborah. Uh, but the thing is, is like with 13, like originally the entire cast was made up of kids. So like, it's not like there was a song written in the Broadway show for Evan's mom. So I don't know that she's going to be singing. Although if you have ever messing in a musical, maybe they make you sing. But no. I wouldn't be surprised if um, Netflix is like, let's give her a couple lines on a reprise of something here or there. So I imagine she'll sing something, even though it might not be, you know, a whole thing. We shall see. We're going to find out soon enough. Uh, now for a headline that actually brought me joy. And I, I'm sure this brought me a lot more joy than it's going to bring me <laughs> But this fall, we are getting a Winnie the Pooh musical stage show featuring the songs by the Sherman Brothers. The show is set for Theater Row and Hell's Kitchen in the Broadway Theater District adjacent area beginning October 21st. And it's presented, of course, in association with the Disney theatrical productions. Like, I'm just, I'm just happy about this. Like Winnie the Pooh, Pooh like brought me so much joy when I was a child. Um, like I, I think this is great. I don't care. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting about this is, is that it was the music was, is written by the Sherman brothers. Now yeah. the Sherman brothers, as in like the Mary people Poppins. who wrote Mary Poppins, like one of them died nine years ago. And the you other the other one is in his 90s. So I'm assuming this is like a trunk show that they wrote at some point and never um, did. Or maybe well, they're... I saw when I was a child, like truly a child child, a Winnie the Pooh musical that was oh, really? like, OK, I, yeah. So I'm wondering if it's like a, another version of another version of another version of that, because it was presented like with like it was not like a like we're calling it Winnie the Pooh but it ain't you know what I mean like it, was, it wasn't like that so I'm wondering if they had already kind of put something together like this and we're just getting the announcement that they're doing the same thing in theater row yeah well it does look like they wrote a lot of music to Winnie the Pooh movies yeah um over the years so like all the way mm -hmm. back to 1966 um and then um you know including the wonderful thing about Tiggers they did that <sighs> of course Tiggers is a wonderful thing that, so I've heard finally in recommendations we are still hurting 20 years later. The last five years was presented by Northlight Theater two decades ago. I could not believe it. I yeah. was like, how, how is it? Okay. Recently, a panel came together via Zoom for a reunion. The panel included Jason Robert Brown, Norbert Leo Butts, Lauren Kennedy, BJ Jones, and Daisy Prince and featured performances of Still Hurting, The Next 10 Minutes, and a cut song, I Could Be In Love With Someone Like You, uh, with Norbert Leo Butts and, and uh, Lauren Kennedy. I yep. did not realize that it was not Sherry Renee Scott. I'm yes. not going to lie to you guys. I did not know this. It was another blonde. Yeah. Um, Lauren did wow. it in Chicago. And then I think she got another. I don't know. 
what the gig was, but she got another gig before it came to New York for the off Broadway run and Sherry and Sherry stepped in. Uh, but these performances are great. They do like a little yeah. panel. It's only an hour long. I watched all mm-hmm. the performances yesterday. Same. Um, and it's so good. And if you know JRB's solo albums, I Could Be In Love With Someone Like You is on, mm-hmm. um, I think, Someone Else's Clothes. Um, so yes, that song's I on love there. That album. So good. Oh. Yeah. So, so good. And um, it, that's the song that got replaced by Shiksa Goddess. So. Um, it's uh, it's very, very good. Um, and Norbert is honestly one of the absolute best singing actors in, you know, working today. So this is I highly, highly, highly um, recommend you uh, you check that one out. I'm a I'm a big, big fan. Well, thank you for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. Don't forget about our Patreon for Broadway Radio. That's patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Grace Aki. Matt, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. And in just like 30 seconds on the other end of our outro, when I speak with the great Kevin McCollum and the co-writer of Ride the Cyclone, Brooke Maxwell. Check it out, y'all. Stick around. On the head, I make them. I get up, I get up, and no one's gonna keep me down. Okay, it's clear on the top of this class. These folks here, well, they pump the gas. Fetch me a coffee, shine my shoes. Some of us are winners, some were born to lose. You got the sandwich artist, the security. Brooke, I'll, I'll start with you since you wear so many hats uh, on this album, obviously, is. Uh, as co-writer and music director, conductor, arranger, orchestrator, all that stuff. But, you know, this show has had such great fan support over the years and has developed such a a strong following. What did it mean to you to finally get this album out into the world, not only for those longtime dedicated fans, but hopefully for new folks to discover it as well? I think that's actually the biggest joy that I'm experiencing at, at this point as it started to get out there more. It's it's such a delight to realize that it's not one of the cast members' mothers who's commenting or or, <laughs> or, or one of the super fans that we've seen, which are absolutely amazing to hear about. But then just be like, who even is that person who is really having a visceral response to either the music or one of the lines or something like that, really identifying with it? And it's like, it's so strange to be here on the West Coast in the where I live in Victoria, British Columbia. On Vancouver Island, which sounds like it's a very small place, but it's a, it's a small size city. Yeah. Um. But we're we're the Shire, you know. We're we're <laughs> well, it's, it, we come back to the Shire after getting a chance to visit with Kevin in New York or go to Chicago or whatever, and it's a it feels slightly removed from the world, and we're often in a place where we're observing what goes on in the world too. So to feel like we're actually making a little blip and contributing something that people are experiencing. The way that we experience most of American culture is is kind of fascinating and gratifying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure it's even more gratifying given the past year plus that we uh, that we've been through, especially for you as a creator to uh, finally get that after such a long time is probably is probably really nice. Uh, Kevin, you know, we all kind of understand the importance of a cast album in the life of uh, of a musical beyond the initial kind of, uh, you know, big productions that people read reviews of and, and stuff. But how important was it for you as a producer to use this shutdown time to 
you know, work with the creators to get the album out there so that when theater eventually it does return to theaters around the country, that this would be kind of fresh in the minds of, of not only fans, but artistic directors and programmers at, at theaters everywhere. Yeah, it, it was very important. And again, uh, Brooke gets, you know, a, a huge amount of, of credit for reactivating it I, on, on some of my other shows. I've been working on developing them during this time. It's been a very good time to get writers and directors and creatives focused. And that's really the biggest challenge oftentimes for a producer is how do you get everyone in the same room, especially when we're on different yeah. time zones. But, um, but Brooke, who, who, you know, is, is, is very holistic in how he approaches everything. It comes from a very sort of organic, like, he just felt it in his bones, like we can do this. And I said, how do you do this? I, I've made, you know, 12 albums. And, and he goes, I have, you know, Joby up here at Baker studios. And, and uh, if you can find me studios in the United States, we can, we can put a, a feed into Joby's studios and we can do it remotely. And I can, I can put together the musicians here. And we wanted this album to reflect all the work. So many wonderful, talented cast members have, have contributed to the show. So it's kind of like a, it's not just a cast album. It's a, it's sort of a world premiere of, of all the talents that we have, mm. have met along our, our journey. And um, it's a very, very special album because everybody showed up to make it happen when we couldn't show up. And if that's not Ride the Cyclone, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Brooke, for folks who aren't familiar with what Ride the Cyclone is, can you give them that thumbnail synopsis of where this <laughs> very funny but fairly unusual idea for a musical came from? It's the it's the the joke is the elevator pitch is is we haven't nailed it yet. It's <laughs> <laughs> Six kids die on a roller coaster and they're brought back to life by the fortune telling machine. But it's a comedy and life affirming uh, and uh, uh, filled with joy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the best people, the, people I, always I, look I, at I, you I, and we're not, we're not psychopaths, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I'm going to jump in on the elevator pitch and, and uh, only because it has a quality. First of all, it's a, it's, designed as a one act. So you really are on this journey with these six individuals. And, 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 and are they brought back to life? They, they exist in this warehouse where uh, the, uh, the machine is also existing because after this tragedy, um, the carnival closed and they're in this remote town and they're in this you know nondescript warehouse <laughs> where all the pieces of the carnival were just packed up and left and everyone ran out of town because they couldn't deal with this tragedy. And the machine actually gives them a way perhaps to get back. And so they have to evaluate what they did while they were on Earth. And what, of course, happens is the wonderful journey, and I don't want to give it away, but it's very, very fun. In an entertainment, I would say, you know, it's it, it, it's Rocky horror with a little bit of glee and a little bit of forever <laughs> plaid because forever plaid. Yeah. There's five guys that, that perish, but it's what they made and what they create. That's magic. And um, I got to tell you, every time I see the show, I just make sure I call a couple people and tell them how much I care about them. And uh, mm. 
And even some, it's even sometimes the writers I call and, and thank. It's that good. <laughs> yeah. well, well, it's really, it's really magical. Yeah. Well, Brooke, knowing now what we know about the plot, where did that the nugget of something come from to turn that into a musical? Um, well, I mean, the history of my involvement with Jake, Jacob Richmond is the main book writer, the, definitely the book writer. He's he's a wild, um, brilliant writer who thinks differently than the other kids. Um, and I've been fascinated <laughs> with him since I first met him, probably in about 2006 or seven. And uh, he he had a, a theater company back in Victoria called Atomic Vaudeville, and they were writing cabaret. I was a fan of theirs and gradually um, wrote a song for them uh, almost as an audition. They never used it, but they invited me to start <laughs> writing. So I, I worked with them and wrote about 30 sketch comedy uh, songs with him. So they he had a real frontline experience in, in sort of sketch comedy, absurdist, you know, a real fan of Dan Harmon and that sort of gear shifting um, yeah. absurdity and and but also with a social commentary and a heart that's that's how he writes He's, he has another play um, that came out a while ago called Legoland which is sort of in a similar wild world um, and then this is sort of an, on the, in some levels this is an extension of that crazy world uh, set in uranium Saskatchewan so I, I was a fan of Jacobs and uh, his writing and his ideas and I found it very inspiring to to try to write and keep up with him um, and so gradually he said hey do you want to do a musical and okay let's do it uh, that was that was a while ago. So, yeah. yeah. And initially he, he had wanted to uh, dramatize and humanize a, a, a tragic event. So way back, he was talking about uh, like it was a town that had flooded and it was going to be called Plum Cooley. And eventually he came upon the, the roller coaster uh, metaphor and, and ride the cyclone and yeah. kind of from there. Yeah. Well, you, you talk about his writing having, you know, full of social commentary and heart. Since we are getting this album, hopefully, uh, presumably towards the end of, of this pandemic and the theatrical shutdown, <laughs> does has has the show and, and maybe even specifically just the album itself, you know, kind of removed from the, the larger storytelling of the stage show, has that taken on any kind of different message for you as you think about it and work on the album given everything that we've all gone through over the past at this point 14 months and presumably a few months more um i it, it's been an amazing way to connect with people um and also for me obviously as an artist who's underemployed it's been a, you know the shark's got to keep swimming so it's been a fantastic opportunity for me personally to sort of keep going and allow me to connect with the people in my community um, to, to help make a beautiful thing in a time where it's hard to make beautiful things, not to mention to connect with the, the cast that's yeah. so socially distanced, um, literally so internationally socially distanced in, in different parts of the States. Uh, the technology, you know, everybody's living in Zoom and however much we, we go tired of that it, it sure saved the day the technology was a real you know between dropbox and zoom and the file shares uh we could make an album uh an international 
cross cross border album, which was absolutely amazing, as well as people in their home recording studios. That's that's one of the advantages of of the Shire. I sort of played it down my little small city, but one of the reasons I I, I feel like I'm a, a product of this the city. But Victoria and the Vancouver Island has a lot of fantastic musicians. So the fact that we could do things, access that level of musicianship from our hometown. Uh, who had maybe remote studios or occasionally meet in uh, Joby's studio uh, was absolutely fantastic and definitely pandemic related. Like, uh, yeah, incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I will say usually when you do an album and it's, uh, you have the cast in one place and you basically, you know, record the musicians first and then you bring the cast and typically you record all the vocals in a day, truly, because you're doing a show and you have eight a week. Um right we actually you know I'll, I'll let brooke describe it but but it how many days in the studio we were there because and, and you were really working and having to piece it together piece by piece truly truly hand making this album it, it, it with with specific musicians in fact we even were able uh, one of our uh, really important creative forces uh, passed away uh while we oh, wow. were during during this process our director rachel rockwall and uh, and rachel put so much of her heart into this show. And when we started on the journey, she had a, a, a young son named Jake. And uh, Jake actually is 14 now, 15 now. And uh, he actually played uh, some of the guitar riffs uh, on oh, this wow. album. As well as, as well as uh, was the engineer in Chicago under his dad's yeah. vague guidance, but I think he was taking her into it. That's yeah, amazing. Was, uh, his... his yeah, so Rachel's husband, who is a sound designer, um, uh, and the apple doesn't fall that far, he also had helped get the, the mix right so that basically uh, Joby and Brooke could then grab the mix and then work it into every other piece of, of, of the album that they recorded. Wow. And they had a, they, they really, they really, it, it was truly a team effort. It, it was, we all, we all, um, you know, it was really a, a wonderful musical a t team and family, extended family in so many levels, because my wife is um, also a very uh, gifted stage manager, directorial mind. And so the, the level of organization that had to happen to make all this happen was absolutely incredible. It was like it was like planning a show because we needed to get make sure that sure. the instrumental parts were recorded prior to the sessions that were booked in Chicago uh, with Lillian and um, and Emily to be singing over top of this. Um, and so we had to get all those sessions taken care of and then and the background vocals for some of the local singers. Anyways, it was a real schedule planning thing. So she chipped in there and we needed to rehearse locally. And so Jacob's dad's theater volunteered his theater and uh, all, all my musician, I'm, I'm a musician primarily. So my, my brothers and friends and sisters they're they're all musicians um so just tapping into all those those worlds and for me that was one of the most super satisfying elements of this is as a musician i'm not a theater guy I, i've been saying for for however long i've known kevin that i'm not a theater guy <laughs> <laughs> and i keep long. saying stop saying that you i can't say it anymore guy. you just don't know it <laughs> i can't say it anymore but my my roots and my background are as a musician so whether it's like kevin saying here's how you make a cast album it's like okay that's news to me i'm i i'm more of the world of here's how you make an album album 
um, and and as is Joby Joby Baker. So that was really lovely to bring the worlds together. I mean, I'm gigging three days a week in a restaurant or something like that. So all my all my friends are I'm telling them about this theater show, but it hasn't played in Victoria for a while, so most of them haven't seen it. And as I'm describing it, they're like, "What? What? What?" And so when I actually finally get them to lay down the baseline for uh, Ricky Potts' Space Age Bachelor Man or something like that, they're they're saying, you know, this reminds me of club 54 when i was playing disco tracks in the 70s in new york that's what that was my bass player buddy peter yeah for me it's just so lovely to complete the connections between the worlds with my music buddies and my theater people and then have it all in this album that's out there and shared with strangers or people who are connect you know strangers who are <laughs> both senses of the word stranger stranger than your average in terms of they they are our people they are the ones who really connect with this beautiful and uh, strange and wonderful piece that we've created so that's a, it's such a special yeah. way to connect you know I, I and i think you know two things about this that i just want to articulate is one you go to the theater not for formula. You go to the theater to be surprised, truly, because, you know, you have to show up. It's, it's the most inconvenient thing you can do. Nothing in a world that everything's beamed and your listeners right now, you know, can be doing 12 things while they're listening to this interview. You know, attention must be paid to the, going into the theater. And it is such a surprise. Also, not only the narrative, but the music. I have to tell you, Brooke has... Um, the influences that he holds in his head and is inspired by. And I remember during the creative process, I would say, I'm feeling something this, that, you know, I don't know. Oh, you're talking, you want kind of a super tramp vibe here. And, and I can mix that with hmm. this. That's kind of a new element. And, and I have an instinct on this. And all of a sudden he was translating sort of in the creation of the show, like, yeah. And by that he was raising the stakes because musically, our brains, you know, we don't even know quite how our brains react to different music, but but I think Brooke does. So he might not be a theater guy, but he's so astute and that is makes him a theater guy because the theater is about really pulling those emotions, surprising you while you're sitting in the darkness with strangers yeah. and then you leave as a family. And that's what that's the magic trick good theater does. Yeah, I, I, I thanks, Kevin. I, I, I do feel that in so many ways. And when I say I'm not a theater guy, it's just, I, I didn't grow up with um, with musicals for the most part. We had Grease and we had The Sound of Music. And I think I heard Mary Poppins and I really liked that. But beyond that, I was more um, uh, the Beatles for sure. And David Bowie. Tom Waits, which all of those have a strong element of, of theater in, in, in so many ways, right? So yeah. that's that's the landscape that uh, sonic landscape that I I dig into and, and really enjoy. Um, as well as you know, <laughs> when we're in the mall or hanging out on the Navy Pier in Chicago, shakes you, you, you there's mall pop everywhere. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's fun and it's been really fun to sort of learn a little bit more about the some of the traditions of theater. Jacob and I again we're we like the weird so so our our top <laughs> musicals would be Rocky Horror and, and Hedwig uh for sure um and I love the soundtrack to Grease but gosh it's problematic yeah it's yeah but, <laughs> yeah but, but I still <laughs> sing those songs I'll play those at gigs like oh my gosh and you know ironically I'm a jazz guy so come on any jazz guy who actually understands what it is that they're doing is a theater guy because I've been playing those old musical theater songs, yeah. the standards 
forever, but not understanding where they came from. So again, this has been a really nice part of my life to sort of fill in some of those blanks. Well, the, since the since the album is out now, if people are going to listen to it, what would you equate the you know the the musical landscape to? You had you talked about all of these different influences that you have, um, and obviously there's quite a bit of variety uh, in the songs on the album. But just in general, like what would you equate the type of music? Where you know what kind of connections could people make to what they're going to hear on the album to things that they've heard before? If it's not necessarily traditional musical theater that they're used to seeing on stage. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, we do shift gears for each character. So yeah. each character sort of has its own, his or her own sonic palette. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I mean, as I said, David Bowie, prog rock, um, sort of circus carnival weirdness of multiple <laughs> sounds going on and pump organs and theremins or saws and hard rock and gnarly guitar and Seattle shoegazing rock and uh, just music of celebration. There, there's a marching, marching band. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to jump in. I grew up, I grew up making radio shows with albums. Yes. Uh, 33 <laughs> LPs. Right. And I would have a tape recorder, a cassette tape recorder. And I, when I kind of think of this album, besides Rocky Horror, I kind of go to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band mm. of all the different Beatle palettes with, with some Bowie and uh, a little, and, and, and the journey is very, you know, everyone has to own the stage for a period of time and also the work as an ensemble. So, you know, Hedwig is also a really good sort of, thing to think about how that show surprises you where it's sort of like uh, direct uh direct narrative but we are the audience or what are we we are kind of a character in this show when you see it when you listen to the album you're going to have that wonderful sonic journey and you're going to imagine all kinds of things and when you're in the theater watching the show live you're going to you're truly making a contract with these characters similar to what happens when you see a rocky horror when they you're there you're there but you're not there and you can layer your own life experience through these characters so it's a it, it it's truly a very unique theater piece so it's hard to put it in a box but i think uh i like to think you know some of these characters in purgatory you know would be listening to uh for the benefit of mr kite and <laughs> and all the wonderful totally, things yeah. that uh, are also on that album. Yeah. 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 Cause we sure were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we grew up with it. I mean, I yeah. think, Brooke, I mean, you, those, this is actually, I think we all try to, theater is a great place to sort of like, well, who are we and how do we reflect ourselves in the time we're in? And this album and this show didn't happen by accident, even though it's about a terrible accident. And I think this show, if anyone's really trying to figure out the world, this show helps you get there emotionally and allows you to appreciate the things in your life that maybe you're taking uh, for granted. 
and that it's all just so precious. And this musical unlocks that, whether it's live or listening to the album. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll get you out on a couple real quick questions uh, before we wrap up. Kevin, I, I want to start with you, and I hope you'll permit me to kind of venture off the Ride the Cyclone uh, thing momentarily. But you have a number of shows that are planning to come back uh, to New York once the uh, the shutdown is officially lifted. Is there any updates on things that you can give us about either Six or, or Doubtfire or anything sure. just so people can kind of get excited about what's to come in in the the fall in new york absolutely well i've been working very hard uh uh trying to get the the industry back up with my colleagues and uh we are you know we've put tickets on sale which is the first step and hopefully the the virus will be contained in a way that that we can enter the theater safely again and we're anticipating september 14th as first shows are going to start six is going to and six actually i have to say uh is very similar to to ride the cyclone in that it's a one act where people step forward and tell their story uh in a very entertaining wildly uh, talented way and uh and of course six is about the queens of of henry the eighth uh telling their own history as it were as opposed to the history from the male point of view uh and in a contemporary language which also is what also Brooke and Jacob have done with Ride the Cyclone. So that format and that kind of entertainment is very, very popular, especially with the youth. And uh, what's great is that that's going to start performances on September 17th. And we're going to open and we will, I believe, be the first official opening night for the Broadway reopening because our show shuttered on the day that uh, our opening night was supposed to happen. So uh, my colleagues have given me a window to be the very first opening uh, on Broadway on October 3rd. And then Mrs. Doubtfire starts October 21 performances, and our official opening is uh, December 5th. And then I'm out of town in Chicago with the Double Wears Prada, which previews are going to be July uh, 19th, 2022, and opening August 7th. 2022. And that's a score written by Elton John mm-hmm. and Shana Taub and book by Kate Weatherhead and Paul Rudnick. So it's, um, there's a lot. And then, and then also hopefully Brooke Jacob and I, and we're going to find uh, some theaters are very interested in, in doing because oh, sure. we lost our director, but doing uh, ride the cyclone uh, and, and produce it again. And, and hopefully we can get that uh, definitive production uh, back into New York and uh, distribute it back to Victoria and Toronto and and everywhere can can enjoy this uh, wonderful wonderful new musical that is yet to really be seen. But there's a great album called Ride the Cyclone you can listen to. Yeah, I real quick. I was at the very first preview of Six and I didn't get the all the hype and the buzz about it going in. Like it's like oh I understand it's you know the music's fun. But when I saw it, I was like oh I get it now. I I get it. I get the hype. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to tell you, Ride the Cyclone is similar. It's a surprise. You're like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Okay. I've seen dark comedies on television, but, but there's never been a musical like this. There's never been a musical like Ride the Cyclone. And I think Six is a really good comparison to what I think uh, Ride the Cyclone uh, is going to create as well. Yeah. And Brooke, to, to wrap this up, as you see ride the cyclone kind of taking that next step in its in its life and its journey and its evolution obviously you said this is something that you've been working on for uh for quite a long time 
what do you hope that audiences, whether it's from the cast album or potentially, uh, as Kevin said, a definitive production in New York or, or people who see it somewhere else, what do you hope that they're able to kind of uh, take away from this, as we said, uh, kind of quirky and unique story from a musical, but something that actually has a lot of uh, a lot of heart and truth and humanity to it? Um, I think one of the things I've gotten most excited about, we've, we've, we've done a little bit of the licensing has gone out and starting to see, we're not quite there yet. I guess I would probably don't want to advertise that. Is that right, Kevin? But, um, no, no, you can, no, feel free. What I, what I, what I really selected licenses, right? Okay. Yeah. We've taken selective licenses and seen little elements of what people do with, with the material and just, I, I I was an elementary school music teacher for years and I just love seeing how people take it and run with it and add their own thing to yeah. it. And its roots are sort of in a scruffy little theater warehouse and to see it kind of, you know, we're, we've, we've, we've evolved into to this wonderful production and, and this amazing album and things like that. But just to sort of see in its longer term, hopefully licensing life, just seeing how people interpret the material and how it inspires them to sort of share that joy and oddness and love um, with their own communities. Like for, for me, that's, that's, that's a real, real rush and something I would love, love to continue to, to see. I write poems to burn by firelight Drink champagne and guzzle gin Good girls call me the town bicycle Don't knock it till you've tried my life a sin Oh, Claude, my pimp nose, never mess with me. Last prick did that faded quick to black. I have no idea where to find him, officers. But if you do, please mention that I'd like to have returned the pretty knife that I stuck ten times in his back. <sighs> you know, when you started to spell express, it sounded like you were about to go into a cheer, and I was like... E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com Express. VPN. No? Yes. <laughs> okay.